how many instances in just the Acts of the Apostles do we have of of people that are in positions, whether it be the apostles or their disciples, interacting with government officials with the gospel? Welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide podcast, where if the shoe fits, you wear it. And if the truth hurts, you bear it. I am Justin Gruber. And I am Jesse Gruber. And today we hope you will seize the faith. Welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide podcast. This is episode 109. CNN. Nueve. Got it. 109. And tonight we will be covering a hard-hitting topic with one hard-hitting bro, that would be senior pastor, lead planter of the Outpost Church, one Alex Rodriguez. What's going on, guys? Good to see you guys. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. I did the you money dropped the money drop. <laughs> that was the money drop. Wait, where's the? Oh, there's the clapping. That's better. That's better. Jeez, he's not Joel Osteen. Gee whiz. <laughs> What's up, Alex? <laughs> Man, it's been a while since I've been on here with you guys. Yeah, it well, really yes. We talked about China. Apparently, it's here for the you're here for the money because Jesse's just dropping the <laughs> coin right now. Oh gosh, stop <laughs> dropping the coin. Oh man. Uh, right off the top, uh, Jesse wants to uh, make sure we do not forget to mention. Don't gild the lily. Uh, no, yeah, that's right. You can you can go right now to carbafiday.com slash shop and grab the. <clears throat> Why am I totally blank? <laughs> The Slay Dragons t shirt. Oh my gosh. Woo. Yep, we made that. The Slay Dragons t shirt. It goes to support Alex uh, in his endeavors and the, the ministry of the men's muster um, as Alex endeavors to write. Uh, it's, is, is the field guide or the handbook? I, I always forget. It's a biblical manhood field manual. Field manual. It, I, was, I was wrong on almost all of the words. Um, yeah, so Alex is writing that, and we're super stoked about it, and we can't wait to see it when it comes out, um, whenever that is. Yes. And uh, But yes, but in order to get there, we have to fund it. And by we, I mean the church. And uh, we would love your help in that, and you could get an awesome t-shirt and help Alex do that. Yeah, it's pretty simple. You get an awesome t-shirt, you get to have interesting conversations with it, and simultaneously support someone who's making an excellent product for men and is also very good it's at It's a establishing... resource, not a product. We're in this for the ministry. Okay, product resource, <laughs> sure. The difference there, I guess, is <laughs> the coin. Regardless, the... What I was trying to say is Alex is really great at helping men connect to their the biblical roots uh, that God has given them and also creating systems for men to actually operate in. And this is the called this is a cul- cum- culmination culmination of that those those skills. All right, I'm done talking. Great job, Justin. The shirt's cool. Buy it so we can support Alex. Shut your mouth and do it. <laughs> now, on to the topic at hand, which <laughs> is um going to be a bit spicy do you remember what that topic is no, I, I do know what the topic is oh, okay. <laughs> by the way it's it's the take courage say dragons i was just trying to think of the first part that was blanking that's what i blanked on calm down gotcha tonight we will be discussing and analyzing um i don't know what you call it, a proper view or trying to grasp an understanding of christian nationalism and what we should do with it well hopefully we can bring some type of clarity to it because there seems to be a lot of yeah, muddied a, waters. I, I don't know. I, I thought we were I thought we were going one direction and then everything got real hazy. It's a great band. Real hazy or muddy waters? 
One Direction. <laughs> uh, One Direction. <laughs> Not a big fan, but okay. <laughs> Okay, it's happening right now. All right. <laughs> so, as as I understand Christian nationalism, it tends to be for me. Now, one of the things we're very clear on here at the Carbon Feeder Podcast is the necessity of ensuring that we have words that have clear meanings and objective. We want to be as objective as possible with the meanings of our words. So, Christian nationalism is an idea that's made up of two words. Am I am I right so far, gentlemen? Yeah, Christian nationalism. Yes, there are, there are two words, yes. That seems good. So it seems to me that if we could understand what it means to be a Christian and a nationalist, and then if we put those together, we would have basically what is a Christian nationalist? Is that more or less accurate? Uh, it would be until you go online and then all hell breaks loose. Yeah, so. see, that seems confusing to me. I feel like... Uh, so here's my big issue. Besides the fact that some people just make it race racial, which I understand the culture co-opted it and immediately a Christian nationalist became a white Christian nationalist. So I'm not I'm not ignorant to the reality that they did that. I'm also not ignorant to the reality that um, many people have asserted that the for some reason, what is the now quintessential guide to Christian nationalism by Steve Wolf is they they proponent that he makes some. It's not even that he makes inherently racial claims. It's that he seems to make um, ethnic claims that people should or people are best in groups where they have um, a a commonality. And so it seems that he indicates that, for example, you a white person marrying a white person is usually optimal because their their community is the same. They have the same community, and this is not unusual. For I listen to podcasts of people of all shades and ethnicities. And most of them actually say the same thing. And I don't know what the big issue is here. Um, I certainly don't think it's a problem. It's not a problem to have people from different ethnicities marry. But it certainly also isn't inherently the norm either. So I don't know why that's a big issue. But that's a huge issue. That's a huge issue to a lot of people. Um, But regardless, it's not a racial. It's not inherently racial at all. Christian nationalism is two words and they have meanings and we should be able to know them together. That, we're right, right? Right. I think so. Stephen Wolf did write that book, and it's been the topic of much discussion. I think one of the down downfalls or whatever is that you have some that are only talking about Christian nationalism in relation to Stephen Wolf's book, when there are other uh, men, especially churchmen, pastors, elders, Christian authors. Uh, who do sound exegesis that are also talking about Christian nationalism, but everybody seems one side of the conversation seems to be focusing almost exclusively on Stephen Wolf, and I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's charitable, is what I would say. So you're trying to say that there's more to Christian nationalism than just Stephen Wolf, right? You know, some people would say Christian nationalism. You know, one article just came out recently saying that Christian nationalism was a response to kind of everything that happened in 2020 and George Floyd and social justice and that it's a response position. And I can understand why people would think that. And, you know, I'm still working through all of this, but I think, I don't think it was so much a response to that as much as that issue kind of brought it to the surface. Cause there are men out there who have been doing what Christian nationalism it, says it is. They've been doing that work, for years upon years, 
before yeah. the term ever became uh, before the, you know, the non-Christian left, I guess you can say, or took the term and used it as a negative slander. Um, they've been doing the work because I would think, I think Christian nationalism at its heart is a conversation about the, the lordship of Christ over nations. Yeah. Agreed. Well, more, more so <clears throat> the easiest way to understand national when you, when you take away the, so obviously it's like Rosaria Butterfield has said about people that say they're a gay Christian, right? You mean yeah. Rosaria? Yeah. It's hard to say that that way, but yes. <laughs> uh, what she says about gay Christians, when, when someone says they're a gay Christian, it's not a thing because the one identifier doesn't go with the other. It's not possible to combine them because the gay actually changes the Christian. It tries to impose something on the Christian that's not possible to be placed on it. But when you look at these words as identifiers... It's not just that someone is inherently a nationalist. It's that they are a Christian nationalist, which must, must by default, absolutely change the idea of nationalist in many key, key ways. But apart from that, the simple idea of understanding that a nationalist is someone who is simply the opposite of a globalist. That is, a globalist is one who is <clears throat> uniting, is seeing all worlds, all, all nations, all peoples, all places uh, in sort of this overarching hierarchy as they are all connected together whereas a nationalist says no people of different spaces have certain um, they have certain communities and they make right. and do things specific to their community and that's that's a that's an important distinction to be made and once you're seeing the nationalist understanding from that that framework you then say, well, no, then in that case, there many people are nationalists. I, I certainly don't think we want to understand globalism unless we, right. you know, we, <clears throat> we really do want to have some sort of globalist culture. But a globalist culture means that we're going we're gonna to have to start. Not like Klaus Schwab's globalist culture. Well, that's exactly the thing that we're fighting back. Right. We don't want that. Right. And we so, fight that with? A, a, a solid view Christian of. Christian nationalism. <laughs> <laughs> so when we see that, that nationalism is the idea that you would you wish and desire this people group in this nation to prosper which is not wrong in any way inherently no matter right. what they want to attach it to and then i think good keep going merriam webster i just pull up the definition real quick right for nationalism loyalty and devotion to a nation especially a sense of national consciousness exalting one nation above all others and placing primary emphasis on promotion of its culture and interest as opposed to those of other nations or supranational groups, right? So you're right. Nationalism isn't inherently wrong. Depend as long as you would say what you're promoting, what you're devoted to, is in the vein of righteousness versus wickedness. Yeah, which is where that other identifier comes right, in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So suddenly we have that definition, and we thrust in upon it the fact that. Christ is king. We're we're totally changing the conversation of Christian nationalism then. We're no longer seeking to establish a nation above all else. We're seeking to establish inside our nation, which we want to prosper, Christian values that Christ is indeed king. Because without him, I mean, righteousness exalts a nation. And without Christ as king, you don't have righteousness. That's just, right. it's as simple as that. It's a pretty simplest, it's actually a very simplistic understanding. And I don't know why... I mean, have you? I mean, have, does anybody here own Stephen Wolf's book? 
Um, I listen to like most of it on Canon, but yeah, I that's a much it. smarter way to do it because that thing is thick, dude. I saw a copy of it today, and I'm like, bro, that thing is thick. Where'd you see a copy of it? Uh, I was just looking through pictures because <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. I was researching with Christian nationalism, and oh. this guy's like, "Oh, here's the book, Christian nationalism." I was like, "Dang, who do we know around he, here that has that book?" <laughs> I'm like, "This <laughs> dude wrote 500 pages on Christian nationalism. Like, I feel like it should have been. I feel like there's got to be a Cliff Notes version out there. Like, that's a lot. It's a lot of work." And I think what's interesting about the conversation though with Wolf's book is there is problems within it, certainly. Um, but up until maybe two weeks ago. You had reputable men of God from reputable ministries. I think of founders ministries, not saying don't pretty much saying don't throw the baby out with the bathwater when they did their conference and that there was things within the book that were commendable. It's within the last two, you know, two, three weeks. It seems that all of a sudden there's a Twitter firestorm here pushing back on this issue. Um, and so I think that's unfortunate. Um, but I think, again, like my thing is Wolf's, Wolf's book started the conversation, but if we're only engaging with Wolf, you're not really engaging the issue holistically. Yeah, certainly not the cultural movement that, that we've seen of people identifying rightly Christ as king, desiring Christ's righteousness to rule over our nation, which mm-hmm. would then establish us as people desiring of a Christian nationalism. I look at what's happening um, in... Um, is it per, is it the Peruvian president? Which president is it down in? No, oh, it's Brazil. It's Brazil. No, not Brazil. The real Christian guy down south, who's in South America, who's who's basically fought against the cartels and is mm-hmm. praying and reshaping. Now, I believe he's actually doing it in a, perhaps a more Roman Catholic way, but nonetheless, he is exalting Christ and His righteousness as a standard for his nation. The dude is definitely a Christian nationalist. But look at how the shape and ch- the changing and shaping of the culture has already happened. You're seeing right. crime go down dramatically. You're seeing people return to a sense that there is a moral standard, and this moral standard of righteousness is what we should be aiming at. Right, and I think the conversation goes. I don't think there's a lot of debate about it at the personal individual level. It's when we start talking about states and nations and government leaders and law. And so when I think of Christian nationalism, I, you know, I guess if somebody were explaining, like, what are you really aiming for? And I would say it would be for the law of the land and the civil magistrates to be both in submission to and informed by the law of God, the word of God. Right, that that would be the standard by which they rule and by which they legislate. Um, and I, I don't understand why that's controversial, and why pushing for that and and engaging for that that end in mind, it's kind of silly to me that that's such a controversial thing. Um, but I know the big push. One of the big pushbacks is that you know one of the ta- one of the terms they talk about is baptizing the nations. Right. And what does it mean to baptize the nations? And, you know, I think it'd be the idea of the Christian, the moral ethos, the guiding law of the land to be Christianly. Um, and so I was listening to Joel Webden, I think is your parents name. Yeah. And he was talking about how, like, Thanksgiving is a great example of this. Right. That it's something that in, in Christmas and the way we took the Christmas tree and we redeemed it and we show 
you know, the tree can represent one that was hung on a tree and the charitable gift giving as we've received it. So that's a, that's a baptism of that thing, a Christianizing of that thing. And should we, I guess the conversation is, should we desire for that to be imposed upon a nation is I think the big conversation piece. And what are the, what are the dangers if we do have that happen? I think we, go ahead, Jess. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, uh, that, uh, I think that you're right in that in that the majority of the conversation does um, take place around that 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 almost like that government almost like the governmental sphere right like mm-hmm. what do we do with the governmental sphere in terms of of a Christian nation like we all agree that Christians should be discipling people unto Christ we amen you, you know and and <clears throat> and to those things but I think I, I forget who I was talking to it might have been with Josh Kuiper um, last weekend but. Um, holy cow, was that last weekend? <laughs> that was a, yeah, it was, bud. That was a long day. Anyway, um, a whole lifetime ago. <laughs> Jeez, but um, but yeah, and I mean, you know, we were talking, and it's like, okay, well, as as a community, right? As we disciple a community, and that community is changed, like, wouldn't one think? Would wouldn't one think that that would have an effect on the way that that community is governed? And what is that effect and what should be that effect? Like that's where, that's where, that's where it comes up in conversation um, or that's where the conversation picks up with, with, well, what do we do? And um, I think some of the arguments that I'm hearing from some of the anti-Christian nationalism, uh, anti-Christian nationalist side seem to be just very confusing. Like, like they don't want Christians in those roles or, or they do want Christians in those roles, but they don't want Christians to, legislate in Strong, some type strongly of strongly advocate for a Christian position in many issues. Yeah. It's confusing. Right. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think one, there was one guy out there who said that, you know, he wants Christians to hold office, not to enforce Christian laws, but to stop pagan ones. And that's a confusing statement to me because a law is either honoring unto the Lord or it's not. There's no middle ground there. You're saying there's no third way, Alex? <laughs> Definitely no third way, right? <laughs> no. A, a law, a, a decree is either going to have its foundations in the word of God or it's not. And that kind of ambiguity, I think, just perpetuates confusion and, and it leads to all types of wild assumptions can be made. Um, and so I think that's, I, I just don't understand. And I think, you know, you said, you know, what would the fruit of that be? I think where Christian nationalism goes a little further is saying not only what should that produce, but that the church must be engaged in the producing of that. Um, so that's, a, you know, that's a little bolder saying, well, I'm going to disciple people and hopefully the fruit is this versus I'm going to disciple people. And one of the things I want to disciple them to is to push forward the moral law of God upon a nation. Yeah, I've been I've been struggling with this, and this is probably this is it's probably it's probably what makes me a Christian, like some sort of weird Christian nationalist. <clears throat> but I've been struggling with the reality: the church. Well, you are white. 
No. I, so, like, if we can just take a second. Like, if we can, no, you're white, dude. I, I know, 100%. You, you I am are way white. white. I am way no. white. But I am also, like, pigmented. I, you know, Indian and Tiny black bucks. in spots. So, like, what does that mean? <laughs> Is that, like, God's joke? Is that, like, a giant joke that God made? I don't Anyway. <laughs> It's like, oh, this this dot over here is like deep Ethiopia, and this dot over here is like, you know, maybe like you know Panamanian. I don't. It's like I don't understand. <laughs> regardless, regardless of my freckled body, I am. I think we can right off the bat, like, let's say, even if I was to say, which I don't grant this premise because I've heard him talk several times now. Even if I were to say Stephen Wolf's um, book has racial overtones all right and we we can say well that i i don't i don't i'm not on board with that right let's just let's just chop that out and let's just also say like i'm not i'm also not on board with the co-opting of a godless media connecting um um christian nationalism to white christian nationalism and making it a supremacist issue and i reject that outright as well so if i can take those off the table and say no i want words to mean what they mean and i want god to be the one who is the sovereign and so when we identify christian nationalism as someone who desires christ to rule over a nation and for that nation to grow and prosper those things are synergistic right off the bat a nation will prosper if they are ruling righteously as god has decreed so that that happens but my struggle comes in in this way. If we can get to that point, my struggle comes in in this way. The church has no, does not and has not, has relinquished its, its deep need to place God in his proper position. And because we do not place God in his proper position, we do not rightly think and, and about these issues and understand these issues in a way that would say, no, if God, who is righteous and holy, has decreed something, why am I pushing for less than what God has decreed? I shouldn't be ever pushing for less than what God has decreed. So we, we allow things like, like the Lord's name to be taken in vain as if it's just, as if it's nothing. And we never take a second to say, you, you know, that's 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 not how you should talk about the God of the universe. But we're like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to say God of the universe to my friend at work. And yet and yet we should. Right. And, and so then then if we should, why aren't we? If, if God has a law, right. why don't we? I mean, I think you would find those who are not for Christian nationalism. They're not, they wouldn't disagree with that statement at all. But, they would think that we should have a bold witness, that we should bring the word of God to bear on every sphere of life. Um, the issue, well, I think, every, really comes Not every idea. sphere. Well, the issue for them is the idea of a Christian nation. They would say God redeems individuals through the proclamation of the gospel and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. But a nation, you can never say that a nation is Christian. I think. That's one of the, I think, in conversations and in reading that I've found is the idea of calling uh, America, let's say, becoming a Christian nation. They would say, well, it, it can only be a Christian nation if regeneration has taken place. And I think that's where a lot of people are talking past each other is that one side of the, of the, of, of the argument, the anti-Christian nationalism, is thinking of a Christian nation in terms of regeneration, whereas a Christian Pro-Christian nationalism seems to be talking about a Christian nation in terms of 
the moral ethos and law of God being the governing framework of a country, of a nation. And they're talking past one another there. And people say things like, you can't legislate righteousness. Um, well, you can't, and it's true, you cannot legislate regeneration, but laws are inherently moral. So you can't let you, legislation is moral. You have to legislate morality. You know, if you say murder is wrong, that's a moral claim. Yeah, every time. Agreed. Right. So I think a major part of the conversation that's being, I just think there's a lot of talking past each other. Is that right there? A One side saying a Christian nation is, would mean regeneration. The other side saying, no, it would mean the moral framework of the country is shaped by the law of God. Um, and I think that's an important thing to when you're talking with somebody about christian nationalism is one first what do you mean by it if you're saying that like all of america is saved of course not you know but it, like if you take a home right let's say a husband and a wife are, are believers and they have five kids and those kids aren't saved can you say that's a christian home well if the home's being governed faithfully by the word of god bearing on those children whether they're regenerate or not that's a christian home i would say mm -hmm. um and I think it's the same for the nation in the country. If the if the civil law and the civil magistrates are holding the sword, right? And because the, they have the sword, the church has the keys. If they're governing by the sword, by upholding the moral, the, the law of God, then you can say the nation is Christian in its in its direction, at least. Right, it's in its in its informed conscience, really, because right. the laws are informing us of what is right and what is wrong. And if our laws are informing us towards immorality, towards unrighteousness from God's standard, then then our, our nation is certainly not Christian. It's actually pagan. It, it is exactly what that means. But if a law is informing us towards the righteousness of God, then you could certainly say that that is a Christian nation, which is certainly would be ridiculous to say that everyone inside of a nation is a Christian because no one can possibly know that. Right. Yeah. Right. Or anybody inside of a church. Like, right, or yeah. inside of a church or even inside of a home. Right. Like I, I trust the fruit in my children's lives as they have acknowledged, you know, repentance and salvation through Christ alone. But I don't even know the true destination of their soul. Like that's not right. for me to even determine, <laughs> you know, and that's not to get, this is a whole nother conversation on covenant theology, but there's a covenantal framework wrapped into this as well in, you know, um, some of the most anti-Christian national people are saying it's incompatible with, being a reformed confessional Baptist, and some of the most more major proponents are from a, our Presbyterian brothers are saying, "Well, no, it's covenantal, right? They, there's blessings and curses for a nation to be under, for a nation to be governed by the righteous rule and law of God. There are certain covenantal blessings that they receive, um, and I don't think you can disagree with that, right? You can have." You know, if you've let's just bring it to a practical in a home, if you have children, you teach them premarital sex is wrong in the eyes of God, and the sex is reserved for marriage between one man and one woman, and you hold that standard, and let's say by the grace of common grace of God, those children uphold it. There's a world of of consequences they have avoided, and a world of blessings they inherit with that. So now expand that out to a nation, and if a nation begins to see things like abortion or gay marriage or you know the alphabet mafia situation and all this being pushed there or mutilating or, children's genitals you know things right, like that mutilating children then that's a com in god's common grace there's blessing upon that nation by upholding the law of god the moral law of god and i think that's an important part and 
you know, I, I think it's right for us as believers to seek to be put ourselves in places and positions to be able to bring the word of God to bear influence there. Um, this is why, again, you can't say when you say you want a Christian to hold office, not to enforce Christian laws, but to prevent pagan ones. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. that makes it that's nonsensical to me. It does seem um, very confusing. You know, one of the critiques of Christian nationalism is that it's going to, I have it here in my notes, they believe that cultural, it'll lead to a cultural Christianity that would actually hinder the church's, the church's mission of making disciples. And so I don't know if you guys have heard that, that, that kind of critique. But I think one of the important things to realize there is so many of this conversation is having a, around people who are reformed in their soteriology. So all of a sudden we're forgetting that God is sovereign over salvation. Uh-oh. If God is sovereign over salvation, I mean, the great awakening happened during a time of cultural Christianity. You can make that argument. I'd rather adopt a, a form of cultural Christianity that helps, you know, little Susie not get her breast chopped off mm. and little Billy not get his manhood chopped off. You can say breast, but you can't say penis, Alex. I don't know what's going on here. I was going to say wiener dudes. <laughs> Anatomically correct here. Jeez, on the right, right, right. podcast. You know. <laughs> <laughs> what happens if you have a little boy at home, man? You used to say certain words. <laughs> That's fair. No, that is totally true. Right, like my son to the call, it's, it's a wiener dude. <laughs> let's not chop any of it off. Like, let's just, right, let's, right, right. let's just keep the whole, right. But here's the thing, right? Like, i rather live in a society that's cultural in its Christian direction and prevents that from happening and trusting in the sovereignty of God over salvation, then having a society that doesn't enforce that because somehow I think now I play a bigger role in God's redemptive work. hundred like, percent. I struggle with that. I struggle with that immensely. Yeah. And we have to then say, I mean, I would think that we would have to then say that it's a, that a society where uh, little boys and little girls are raised to be men and women uh, and keep all of their fully functioning body parts as God had made them. Um, we, we, I think that we would also have to say then that that culture is better than a culture that allows this mutilation of children um, like ours does. So there is a hierarchy of, of, of what a culture is in terms of better or worse, but better or worse according to um, the ideal of Scripture um, and what righteousness is, because it's righteousness that exalts a nation. So there has to be better forms of doing this, better cultures and lesser cultures or evil cultures. Right. It's a lordship issue. This is the lordship of Christ applied. And there's no neutrality here. The Muslim is pushing their worldview. The atheist is pushing their worldview. The globalist is pushing their this isn't like every we're just going to allow everybody to there's going to be a worldview and there's going to be a worldview that's going to win in every given town city state country nation whatever you want to say province we hear you right. province right for our canadian brothers <laughs> uh and sisters but if we really believe that jesus christ is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the father and that he is king of king and lords of lords over the cosmos right this cosmic lordship of christ then do we not have a responsibility to rightly apply the lordship of Christ in every sphere of life that has been entrusted to us? Yeah. 
This is the cultural mandate of Christianity. Mm-hmm. I'm not a dominionist or anything like that, but it's not just I'm going to apply the lordship of Christ in my, my home. No, it, it changes the way I do everything. It changes the way everything I think, say, do, and desire. So if I'm a lawyer, guess what? Now the law of God is going to change how I practice law. If I'm a, a, a governor, I'm going to govern according to the lordship of Christ. And so it's, it's an inescapable reality. So in some ways, I would say there is an aspect of Christian nationalism that if it is not applied, would be almost, you can almost say the believer would be in sin. And I know that's a bold claim, but let's say you're truly a born-again, regenerate Christian, and you become the president of the United States, and all of a sudden you're going to say you're not going to execute your office as a born-again believer? You're either going to execute it in fidelity to the Word of God or not. And this this seems to be where we're we're there is this talking past each other that's happening. Well, there's this talking past each other that seems to be happening from certain people in certain camps. One Direction, yeah. I, I, because I, I Great still, man. I still, str- <laughs> One Direction. <laughs> so I, I still struggle with this, the fact that everything I hear is simply a redefining the fact that we, they don't like the, people don't like the term Christian nationalist. It's the term that people don't like and the term that people are attaching things to because I still see, outside of government, I see them, like you keep saying, that everything is the same, right? Like they, like, they agree in many, pretty much all the aspects as anyone who would claim to be a Christian nationalist. But they, they seem to be relinquishing the government part of it. And, and right. I... I I always go back, like when I think when I think of sphere sovereignty, right? I think of Kuiper and I think of his his spheres that he drew. And remember, at the same time, right? And we we can map this pretty much onto America as well. The man was also prime minister of the Netherlands. Like he was the dude. He ran. He oversaw the country as he's developing these spheres, and he had the country moving in a absolutely and objectively christian direction but when we and the same can be said for look at where look look at where the netherlands is now the the same can be said for america when america was founded it was an objectively christian country from its upper to its lower magistrates in their rulings and in their laws but now look at where america is and at some point the christian has to sit here inside there inside this ilk and look around and say why is it this way? Is it because we have given over to to the world, to Satan and sin and the world, all of the aspects of rulership in our country? Right. You know, one individual out there that's speaking against Christian nationalism says that they he fully upholds the idea that Christians are to apply their faith to every sphere of life. They're to vote faithfully, be patriotic, call sinners to repentance, work hard in their vocation, and rear godly children. And I'm like, amen. Sounds like a Christian yeah, nationalist. That sounds like a Christian nationalist right. for sure. So this is where it comes, right? If you're going to talk about work hard in your vocation, what informs your vocation? Uh, the Word of God. The Scriptures, yes. Every time. The Word of God. This is why William Wilberforce is one of my heroes. Oh, yeah. Right, Billy, and how he worked against the slave trade. 
he took the law of God and brought it to bear on his his nation there. You know, um, I mean, for the non-Christian, you know, and I guess I know they would say because to, they would say faithfulness, but for the non-Christian, the person who is completely opposed to any flavor of Christian nationalism to say we want to abolish abortion, by what standard? Well, God created life. God takes life. Murder is sin. Okay, agreed. So to some degree, when you campaign for that and you fight for that, you're saying that the nation should submit itself to the word of God. That's Christian nationalism. Right, and it's and, laws. Like it, the laws should be conformed to right. that standard. You're saying legislate in a way that upholds the Bible. Yeah, I think everyone doesn't realize legislation means to make laws. Right. <laughs> That's what it means. So if, you're, if, and I'm, I, if you're going to just be consistent, if you're going to say that the word of God should inform the legislation on an issue like abortion, then why should it not inform the legislation, the, the, the legislation in the moral ethos of the nation in any other area. Boom. Yeah, exactly. Why does this area matter and not the other? Mm. You know, you talk about the public school system and why they shouldn't be teaching kids how to use dildos in fifth grade. Can you say dildos on the show? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you said wiener. <laughs> you could have said more than wiener. Dude. You could have simply <laughs> said uh, yeah. a medical, um, medically correct, non-attached wiener. You could have said that. Right. That would be okay. Because, like, I saw like there's schools that are a toy wiener. <laughs> I live in Illinois, right? Super liberal a toy wiener. Okay, well. <laughs> all right. But they brought they brought these they brought the dildos into class to teach kids how to put condoms on and. They're encouraging all types of sexual perverseness. Mm -hmm. And rightly so, Christians especially, but not just Christians, conservatives are uproaring in, in opposition to this, as we should. But the Christian has to ask, by what standard? What makes that wrong? The word of God. Okay. So now if we're going to fight against that by the word of God, you're saying that the word of God is to inform legislation on that as well. That's a flavor, a degree, a shade of Christian nationalism. And I just, I don't, I, it, it really baffles me why that aspect of it is, it, why this is controversial. Why the idea of, you know, cultural Christianity is such a bad thing for the church. You know, um, you know, it's, eschatology plays, I think, a, a factor in this uh, hugely, but well, you know, Alex, and I don't know if this. I don't know if this will come. I, I'm. I can be a little wackadoo sometimes, and I can definitely be passionate and aggressive. So I, I, I understand that, and I, I confess that. But I look at this stuff and I say, "How is the nation going to?" Let's just say, let's say, and I, I'm going to just go to the place right where where every Christian nationalist fears to tread, right. <laughs> Let's say you look at the scriptures and you say, God has a sexual standard. He has a sexual standard of morality. You lost me and looked to the scriptures. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> if we were to open God's word and read it and try to actually adhere to it, we see that God has a sexual standard uh, of, of behavior for people to live by. Um, that that sexual standard is between... Uh, of, of monogamy between a, a man and a woman, right? A husband and a wife. And that is the, the prescribed sexually intimate relationship. 
Now, if I'm if I'm a Christian and I I'm I'm a Christian nationalist and I want my laws to reflect that, then I want there to be some sort of standard in law of sexual behavior that is gross and inappropriate. And if I want that to happen, then I have to go one more step further and say there needs to be a penalty for that. And I realize when I, when I say these things, my immediate answer is certainly it should be the church that comes alongside those that are having these issues to bring about change in their lives. But the church looks just like the world. Yeah, so how right. could we possibly ever establish the reality if the, ch- the of course the church of course this is hard for us to understand because we have churches that are celebrating sin and death right and if we if we if we can understand that this is where we should go then we can start to preach repentance to even the churches first and say look you don't see this because you need to pull your head out of your own rectum so you can read God's word you can't see it right. in there it's too dark Right, I, and so I think the application of Christian nationalism should start inward and then work its way outward. Agreed, in the churches and go from there. Um, it needs to have a clean house first. You know, it's interesting because one of the chief arguments is this idea of cultural Christianity. Right, if everything's if there's a Christian moral ethos governing a nation, it'll be harder to make disciples. Really, so maybe you should stop teaching your children the Bible because you don't want to create cultural Christianity in your home because. Little Bobby then won't come to faith in Jesus. You yeah. sound like Jen Wilkin now. You, yeah, you got to stop it. We Send, did three episodes on that. I don't want to get back into that. Send them to Rome. Let them become <laughs> pagans, and that's going to be best for their well-being. You don't believe that for your children, so why would you believe that for your nation? And where does Paul go? When Paul wants the gospel to spread into an area and he comes into town, where's the first place he takes the gospel to? Right, he goes to the synagogue and the marketplace. Right, to the synagogue and, and then, then to the, the marketplace, prison. right? <laughs> to the prisons. <laughs> well, that's that was because that's where he, he was just where he was just where he was. To the so, synagogue <laughs> to the jail. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to the synagogue first because he knows there's a basis, <laughs> there's a clear basis in the Hebrew scriptures from the Hebrew God to bring about that that the culture exists for the impact of the Messiah. And the truth of his anointed salvation to be preached right. there. Why would we think that creating the ethos inside of our country of a moral nation that lives by the righteous standards of God would be a hindrance to the movement of the gospel? It turns out the hangman's noose really focuses the mind. But we've gotten so far from that because our laws are so perverse that we, we no longer know that. We no longer identify that righteous laws actually bring about and an opportunity for repentance. Right. And if we don't call the nation to repentance as a whole, and we don't call the nation to honor the law of God, then I believe that I do believe that's the responsibility of the church, not only to call individuals to salvation and to repentance, but to call nations, I do believe, to submit themselves to the rule of God. I mean, that is at the heart of Psalm 2, kissing the sun, verses 10 through 12. So now, O kings, show insight. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he become angry and you perish in his way, in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. That's, you know, this is what we, we want to see for any and every nation, we want to see them rightly acknowledge the lordship of Christ and submit under his law. And 
I know our anti. I, I know those who are anti-Christian nationalists would say amen to a to a degree of that, but but then you got to put some skin in the game and actually engage in that. Whoa, whoa! You take it easy, bud. <laughs> right. <laughs> and this is the part where, like, discipleship. We we got so focused on making. Well, we say that, but at the same time, we have a discipleship you know, famine in the land. Mm-hmm. We talk about discipleship at the individual level, but we've done this with the writing of the Bible, with the Bibles about individuals, discipleship, that we've lost sight of the corporate flavor of God's word. Which was why it was so easy to shut down churches because we've lost flavor. We lost sight of that. Right. And so like, it just, it, it burdens me. I, I, I don't see how anybody with children, young children, especially, could look on the landscape of lease of North America and be like, yeah, no, I don't want to enforce. I don't want to implement, legislate, uphold biblical, biblical moral laws. Now I get the sec, I get the 10 commandments. The first tablet you can't enforce on unregenerate people. Right, that that first tablet is a man's relationship to God. Yeah, but you know what they did, and, and you're so right. It's not we act like our country didn't ever considered like a pluralistic society when it started. No, it actually fully understood a pluralistic society. So no, they couldn't do that. But you know what they did do? They supported churches on the state level. So right. state level churches were supported, and and it was actually like created inside of the structure of giving that. That, it, that there was giving to the churches because without the churches, there would be no moral fabric. Right. But then you got the whole, you'll have the whole argument. I don't want to get you started. I know I put a quarter in you on this one. They're going to get fired up for two more hours, but you got people out saying, well, America was never a Christian nation. Yeah. Well, that's because they're idiots and they never have, they don't know how to read. <laughs> like they, right. they, they lack the um, basic function to read. All right. Now recognizing that, that when the constitution itself was adopted, nine out of the 13 States had official ties to Christian denominations. Yes. Um, so, and, government and, supported church denominations. Right. And so when we talk about Christian nationalism, I'm not saying nobody's saying if you don't worship the Judeo Christian God, you're going to be imprisoned. The second, the first tablet of the law presupposes a regenerative work for the believer today. But the second tablet, man's relationship to man and how he lives with him within society, that moral aspect, that part can be, um, we can contend for. And as that's implemented, the church continues to preach the gospel. The church continues to preach that man is wickedly sinful, totally depraved that the only hope for salvation, the forgiveness of sins is faith through Jesus Christ, right? We proclaim the gospel that God saves sinners by his grace for his glory through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We don't stop doing that, but we do cease for the moral law of God to, to, to push back the darkness, you know, like. Well, that's the purpose. And that's what I mean. Like their purpose wasn't to say, Everyone must go to church. Their purpose was to say, we're going to make it easy for the churches to do their work. That was what they did when at the founding of this nation. It was easy for the churches to do their work, right? So, so much so that they let so many people preach that, you know, a lot of times like people were kicking 
people out of, you know, like, hey, you can't preach in our county anymore because you're a wackadoo, right? And so we had these, we had to have ministers going from place to place because, but but anyone could do it. Whereas in England, you know, we know what happened in, in England. They, they You had to have the right licensures and you could only speak in approved locations at certain times. And, and it was, it was, it was the wild west in, in America, but they created this space for churches specifically to be able to do their work. Now, now instead we, we squash churches from a, from a legislative perspective and diminish their reach. We fence them off, we change their locks. (laughs) And simultaneously the church sees that and says, well, you know what? It's okay. I don't really want to push back in any way. I don't want to actually put teeth to the gospel. I wouldn't want to, I want to be nice. And so we have this cut, this, this, this process pushing back and forth and it's 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 what's caused our 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 doldrums of of paganism and i think there's a missiological component here because one article uh, by a faithful brother in christ who is not for christian nationalism says that in regard to this that it would no doubt no doubt would allow morality to flourish in society when there's a union of church and state biblical norms to carry the most significant influence upon the laws in the land, even the moral expectations of culture, few would question the benefits of what some would call a Judeo-Christian ethic upon the development of laws in the early years of the United States. And so he, read, he readily acknowledges that it allows for healthy morality to flourish, but I think the major concern is that's not what God has called us to do. God has called us to be local churches who preach the gospel and make disciples. So I think there's a difference of understanding of what the making of disciples means. I know a lot of the pro-Christian nationalists say that we are to make disciples of the nations. And so they take a, a bigger view of what that means, whereas some stop under interpret nations as only meaning individuals from every land. Not the idea of necessarily trying to disciple an entire nation. Yeah, I, I, I just struggle with, I struggle with that that thinking. Like, how many instances in just the Acts of the Apostles do we have of of people that are in positions, whether it be the apostles or their disciples, interacting with government officials with the gospel? So either they intentionally understood that they do need to interact with the government officials over the fact that God, that Christ is sovereign, or, or they spoke loud enough that they, the government officials were forced to interact with them. But either way, like we're not doing that at all. <laughs> like, we're well, not see, doing that. Jeff just mentioned John the Baptist, and I've heard brothers say, yeah, but see, they would say that what John was doing was Christian faithfulness, not Christian nationalism. They'd be all for that, but they're just saying that the forcing upon a nation the moral law of God is where they would say, no, one, we shouldn't do that. It would create an environment of cultural Christianity that would hinder the making of disciples. And two, that's not the mission of the church. Except John the Baptist was literally calling the nation of Israel to repentance. He wasn't well, you know, just calling individuals. Um, and a grant, like, what did Jonah do to Nineveh? He called a nation to repentance. And the king did, and it put reforms. Yeah, it, it, bought, and, him, it bought him a stay for a little while right, anyway. 400 years, you know. <laughs> it's a, it's a good bit. 
But you see, the point I made is not that not that it lasted forever, but that whole by and large, you would say that Nineveh repented. Mm -hmm. That's what the scripture says. Yes. Yeah. You know, or when Josiah discovered the law and preached again, and he called what the nation. Nation. Yeah. To repent. To repent and submit to the law of God. And so there's precedent for it in scripture. Not only that, though, Uh, there's something even more fundamental. You're talking about. You're talking about so Josiah obviously had had the authority as well being inside of the sphere of government himself. But going beyond that, uh, he's not the only one, right? We have Ezra calling a nation back to the law, right? Amen. Nehemiah right. is bringing them into the city, the building of the city, bringing a nation back into an actual nation. So we're, we, we see these things happening. Here's the best part. That's what's that's essentially through they could they would make the argument those that that find Christian nationalism problematic would make the argument that that Paul is just simply doing discipleship. But certainly in every place you go, he was calling the nation to repentance. Right. And and more so, we have the freedom to actually call the nation to repentance. We do not need to worship a Caesar. In fact, our foundational documents point to the fact that the only the reason we have freedom is because of God, the creator. And without it, we don't have freedom. So for us, our foundational documents are actually compelling us. Our, our governing documents compel us in the very arguments we're making for discipleship to the entire nation. Right. I don't know why we just keep forfeiting that like it doesn't say it. <laughs> right. And... The church has been given the keys, right? They've been given the keys as it relates to the preaching of the word, as it relates to uh, you know sacraments, baptism, all that stuff. The kingdom of God, the the, right. the kingdom and of the, the eternal kingdom. And the sword has been given to governing authorities, Romans thirteen. So it's interesting, Romans thirteen, which I know you guys have discussed a lot since um, the government heist uh, during COVID, trying to take over yes, and overreach. But verse 4, right, speaking of the governing authorities, for it is a minister of God to you for good. Well, the state has the sword, the church has the keys, but then does the church not have a responsibility to to hold the state accountable to make sure they wield the sword as faithful ministers of God? 100%. Right, so that's a form, as I understand it, and maybe I'm wrong, but that's a form, a vein of Christian nationalism. And that's one I can totally get on board with. Well, certainly. I think we have to get on board with. You know, I love that Dr. John MacArthur stayed open during COVID and he fought that battle. And he told the state that they were overreaching. And maybe I'm just not understanding it enough, but he was, it sure seemed like he was, he was stepping in the boxing ring as a Christian nationalist to some degree there. Right, because he was informing, he w- because without the church yeah. holding the keys to the kingdom, informing the state of what is righteous and unrighteous, then we can only expect man to rule inside the kingdom of man, which is unrighteousness. We can only expect right. sin, that Satan and sin would, would, would indeed rule. And it, uh, we had, um, <clears throat> we had, uh, Wow. Is it Andrew DiBartolo? Yeah, Andrew DiBartolo. Right. You got it right. It was a, I was like, I wanted to call him Anthony because he's so Italian. Andrew DiBartolo on, and he he essentially he said, "He is a super Italian." <clears throat> he essentially said from the Liberty Coalition, "Why wouldn't we expect? Why would we expect 
the men to rule righteously. They're going to rule after their father, and their father is the father of lies and right. death. It's Satan. Why would we expect him to rule righteously? So without the church informing the state of what righteousness is, because they know what God's standard is, then then the state's going to have no access to God's standard. They're, they're not right. going to know it. And they're going to but, continue you know, down unrighteous paths. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book, wrote a piece called the Christ, A Christian Manifesto. And he said the following, quote, Returning to the moral majority, we must realize... That was my fault. I pushed the wrong button. I apologize. <laughs> I, love, wow. I love Francis Schaefer. He's amazing. He's funny, funny, baby. Baby. Repent. I repent. Rebuke okay. me. <laughs> uh, let's give Mr. Schaefer here the proper reverence. <laughs> there it is. Okay. Uh, quote, returning to the moral majority, we must realize that regardless of whether we think the moral majority has always said the right things or whether we do not, or whether we think they have made some mistakes, or whether we do not. They have certainly done one thing right. They have used the freedom we still have in the political arena to stand against the other total entity, secular humanism. They have carried the fact that the law is king. Law is above lawmakers, and God is above the law into this area of life where it is always have been. And this is the part of true spirituality. The moral majority has drawn a line between one total view of reality and the other total view of reality and the results this brings forth in government and law. And if you personally do not like some of the details of what they've done, do better. But you must understand that all Christians have got to do the same kind of thing or you're simply not showing lordship of Christ in the totality of life, end quote. Amen. Preach. And Money. We've just fallen away from that. You know, it's, I can't, I have a clip, I, I, we can't play now, but like Adrian Rogers, right? Definitely not a reform guy, but he was, he was calling the church and then he was calling them, saying the church has to hold the nation accountable, has to hold the government accountable. R.C. Sproul, you can make the argument, was a Christian nationalist um, when he addressed the fact that sometimes the church has to call has to call the government to repent and to rule righteously, and I think it's cowardice. I think I don't want to get into this. I think there's an aspect. I think to some I don't degree. Want to get into this, but I'm going to get into it anyway. <laughs> not fully. I can't. We can't fully get into it. And I know we're all reading on this, but I think we. I think the effects of a weak eschatology can fall into this. When you have bomb shelter theology, right? That it's just we gotta we gotta usher as many people into the bunker as possible because the world's gonna burn. You cease trying to go out there and expand and take new ground. And so there's he's right. We don't have time to get in that. <laughs> we don't have time, and I'm not saying that's true for all. I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush. Wait, like, would you say Johnny Mac is ushering people? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I can't. Is, he, is he bomb shelter or is he? It's, 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 that's analogy um, gets you. You know how you, you know how this is. You're just trying to dig us into the weeds. You're trying to dig us into the weeds here. You know this is. I'm not at this point in my life. I wouldn't say I'm post mill. But at least they're fighting for something. So I understand why so many of the prominent voices for Christian nationalism have a post-mill eschatology. Not all do. I think that's fair. But if you really believe the world's just going to get progressively worse no matter what you do, and all you need to do is have souls saved and usher them into this little shelter 
and wait out the storm or to come think you're going to get scooped out of here before things go nuclear, you're just going to get zapped into the sky, then you, you cease to have that, that dog in you to fight the fight for the glory of God and the lordship of Christ into every sphere. Because some people are just going to say, well, you know what? I'm going to fight and fight and fight for legislation and this, but what's the point? We're going to lose, we, we lose here anyway. So let me just have souls saved and I'll stay in my little quiet shadows here, operate under the radar, hope my church doesn't get closed down and see, you know, one or two or four or five people here get saved. But if you have a more optimistic, if you really believe Christ is Lord ruling and reigning, the victory is his and that the last enemy is death. Then, you know, you're going to, what's the phrase? You're going to fight, laugh, east, right? Boom, boom. Are you going to go out there? Nope. Oh, no, no. You did it. You failed. Wait, wait, wait. There we go. You're going to say, you know what? Time is on God's side. And I'm going to push for righteousness to reign on wherever it is God has placed my feet. So I get it. I get that there's an eschatological factor here that I think does influence how people view this issue. I get that as well. It's funny because I was thinking back. <laughs> I was thinking back. On, <laughs> for, I was having a discussion with someone who was, who is, well, I mean, I, I, I would say they're, Pretty much just a heretic, but nonetheless, I was having a discussion no. over First Timothy four ten, and I was and and they were you know they're making the argument that you know everyone everyone gets saved in the end, and and that was their that was their mm. ethos, and and I was like love yeah. wins, Justin. I kept thinking, <laughs> yeah, it does. Oh, it does. Um, it's just that love is never devoid of truth, and that's the problem for most people that say that. Anyway, First Timothy four ten. Uh, says this for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living god who is the savior of all people especially of those who believe and one of the things that it just compels you to do is to read ahead because it says for to this end well what what is that what 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 is this end he's paul is speaking of here as he's writing to timothy giving him the the basis for instructing the church right you need this as you're going to need to establish the church here at Ephesus. Well, tell us, Justin, tell us. We go back to verse 7, which says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. And here's the turning point. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And that's why... That's why Christian nationalism is saying, I want my nation to conform to the righteous standard of Christ because it is good for all people, Mm -hmm. all people. It is good for them, especially to those who believe they are the ones who are truly saved and in the kingdom, but certainly for all people. That's why Christ, everything has changed since Christ showed up and it will, it, 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 it will only continue to change if we continue to preach the truth of Christ. Goodness gracious. Man, alive. Proverbs 14, 34. 
Righteousness exalts a nation, Amen. but sin is a disgrace to any people. Amen. Do we believe it? If we believe that righteousness is uh, exalts a nation, then even if it's cultural Christianity, yeah, I don't want people to not be saved. Golly, you know, like I'm going to preach my dying breath. But there's blessing also in the moral fabric of a nation being woven with the word of God. And I would love, and I want that. I don't want, you know what? If I don't want to see children mutilated, right? That's a hot button issue right now. You know, like that kind of righteousness can prevent that. Um, and so that 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 grieves my heart. And there are passages in the scriptures that talk about the blessing that comes upon land, especially in the Old Testament through the Psalms, that comes upon a nation when they reverence and rightly honor God. And it's so weird because people are just we throw those away. Yeah, that's that that's that weird voodoo God. We don't understand him. He's different than Jesus. He's a totally different God. The old the Old Testament's only applicable. Somewhere down there, Andy Stanley. The Old Testament can only be trusted when it has promises for Christological fulfillment, not for anything else. Like, yeah, yep, is what it feels like sometimes, and I just don't understand. And I just at the heart of it, why would you not want a Christian nation? Why would you not want a nation that overarchingly is shaped? By the Bible, because they and and this is here's here's where and this is where this is where it just starts to really piss me off. Sorry, mm-hmm. feigning goat warning. Oh, this pisses me off. It the, because they believe in our pluralistic society that that would not be kind, right? Void, not not biblical kindness, culturally kind to people who do not believe in the righteousness of God and it would inhibit their ability to come to know their savior, which is the opposite of everything God has said in his word. It's the opposite by upholding righteousness. You enable a possibility for someone to interact with the fact that there is a standard they do not meet and a savior that they need. That is the kindness of God. That's what the law did in Exodus and Leviticus. It was God's kindness to a nation to say, you will never be holy, yet I will accept for some reason of my grace alone the blood of this lamb to cover your unholy nakedness before me. That that's that's the kindness. And yet we don't uphold it because we're like, oh my gosh. You know, uh, the atheist w- will never accept Jesus if you actually tell him that it's wrong for him to have sex with whoever he wants or whatever he wants whenever he wants to have it. Right. And so, you know, when you say that, I think about the fact that everybody's a slave. You're either a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. Amen. And awakening people to the fact that they're slaves of sin by putting the, the law of God before them. So as the, as the, as the nation, as the, as the civil magistrates execute the stored in righteousness and the church proclaims using the keys, the gospel of grace. That's a wonderful thing. Now, at least in the last week, reading through Twitter and articles and stuff, it seems like the one of the overarching criticisms across the board is the idea that Christian nationalism would lead to a nominal type of Christianity and that that would be bad because people would have a false sense of security and that it would, you know, undermine gospel work, 
and that it would give the government all this power. So like everything that we have right now. <laughs> right. You know, and about? so like, the thing is this, like we will suffer as believers in Christ for sure, for our faith. A hundred percent. But I don't see where in scripture it inherently says that the conditions of suffering are better for people to come to faith than not. We will suffer. We don't pursue it. And we are to be faithful in the midst of suffering. But I don't think that you can make the argument necessarily that a Christian culture, a nominal Christian culture is more destructive to gospel ministry than a anti-Christian culture. Yeah, I just don't know. I, I just how... don't think you can make that argument because again, you look at the Christian home and it doesn't work that way. It yeah. doesn't work that way in the Christian home. Yeah, it's a tough sell. Um, I just I, I struggle with that. We should embrace suffering when it comes upon us, but we shouldn't try to stack the deck against why would we want to stack the deck against ourselves? Like, I don't understand that. And this is, I think, you know, part of it is for me, just my personality, this idea of a faith that's always in the defensive. I believe Christ is Lord. I believe he's ruling and reigning. I believe that nobody will take his throne. And so I don't fight from a posture of defeat or defensiveness. I try to fight the fight of faith from a posture of victory and offensiveness. And... Time is on God's side, and so let us contend for the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness of the Word of God to shape our nation. Will it succeed? I don't know. But what do I got to lose pushing for that? Yeah. Why, rather, why would I not be faithful? Be faithful, right? Christian. Dear Christian, be faithful. <laughs> you know, I rather have a you know a nominal president, a nominal Christian president, than a pagan one. Ali. Uh, yeah, no, every time. Yeah. You know, like I rather, you know, I don't send my kids to public government schools, but if there was government schools, I would rather, you know, like Texas just passed the law, right? That the, the, there's going to be Bible reading time and the 10 commandments in a classroom. And I've heard Christians that are upset about that. Like, why are you upset about that? I don't understand. Like, it's imposing Christian value. You mean it's imposing God's objective moral standard? In the thing putting is, it everybody's imposing something. That's correct. So why not There's make no it the actual here. objective standard instead of the subjective one that makes Hitler just as right as Gandhi, just as right as you? Like, There's no neutral. That's the thing. Is like, There is no neutral ground in this life. Mm. So I will, th- I will parrot Doug Wilson's statement. In that regard, it is Christ or chaos. Unavoidable. You know, either you're going to, if you don't, if you don't seek to have the word of God go forward, the world's preaching, the world's legislating, the world's governing, and you just want to sit quietly in your little local church and not cause a ruckus. I just don't see it. Like you said earlier, Paul went into the marketplaces. Mm. Right, he went into the Areopagus. He's talking with the mover and shaker philosophers. He was before, I think it was, I don't know if it was Felix or Festus, whatever. Are you so quickly trying to make a Christian out of me? Paul was trying to convert him. 
Yeah. Why that, was Paul trying to convert him? First and foremost, for his soul. But let's say that let's say homeboy got converted. That's going to change the way he rules. Should we say that is that a bad thing? Your faith is personal, but it's not private. And so, if you're in a position, we should seek to influence the culture. I just don't understand that we we should seek to re redeem it at every redeem it and see it regenerate. Sure, but I don't. I just it doesn't make sense to me. It's funny because like I'm super frustrated with the Exodus series that came out of the Daily Wire. Um, at best, it's interesting, and at worst, it's uh, just leading people to think that the word is not anything that it actually is. But it gives me a framework from which I can then you know, thrust into the reality of God's right. actual exodus. And, and it's funny because you look at people, I, I, I think uh, he's actually had Douglas Murray on in some of the second season, and you're looking at a homosexual Englishman, right, um, who is, again, very cerebral, just like Jordan Peterson, very, very intellectual. And you're looking at these two individuals, and they're the Areopagus of the day. That's, that's who they are. And they're conforming themselves to realize that Everything that's subjective has no weight. There's no weight and measure to it. Like there's eventually coming to the reality that this whole God thing, we just have to, we have to accept it almost just inherently. That's one of Douglas Murray's things. You have to accept it as a framework because without it, what do we have? Now he won't make the next step because he's unwilling to sacrifice his kingdom for God's. Right. But he's willing to make the step of without this framework, there is nothing. You must have this framework because everything else is quicksand. There is no built stability to it. And so right. there's something to build off of that. It's when we're running to know, actually, this quicksand is exactly where I want to build my house, which is a, which is the world, which is where we're living right now. And I, you know, for me, I'm a, I'm a diehard seven point Calvinist, right? Like I'm through and through in. God is sovereign over salvation. And so I don't worry about if Christian nationalism, let's say God does bless that move, this, this push. I don't worry that that's going to somehow desensitize and hinder the mission of God because God is going to accomplish. None of us can hinder what God seeks to do. Amen. God will accomplish his sovereign will. There won't be one person that didn't make it into the kingdom that was supposed to be there. But we do have a moral responsibility to preach against wickedness, to call nation, the nation, to call its leaders to repentance, to call them to govern in such a way that when they wield the sword, it rightly reflects the righteousness and the ministry that they've been entrusted to. And as we do that, the moral fabric of the nation becomes more Christian. I know that there's all this other talk about Stephen Wolf and the, you know, the Protestant Pope. I'm not going to get into all that because I don't, I don't agree with all that. Can we just agree that we should seek to contend that the civil law and the civil magistrates are in submission to and governing by the revealed will of God and His Word? I mean, to me, that's the most simple definition of Christian nationalism. Mm. And I mean, I mean, I'm I'm on I'm on board. How about I'm on you? board. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of the confusion lies, is because I feel like it can be boiled down to such a simple thing, and people just we're making it complicated. Yeah, well, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that 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 seems to be accurate and the correct. You know, they didn't talk about. Sorry, we had a you broke glitch. their mind. Sorry. Yeah. No, I I, but, I go ahead, do it. 
Oh, go, go, go. You broke up. Go ahead. <laughs> we both broke up. We're breaking up on both ends. Oh, no. Uh, I, I think if we can get on board with that, we'll, we'll, be able to get into, we'll begin to make that that push back into we've given over all the cultural spaces. Uh, we, we, must, we must push back with an understanding where, like, how, how good is it to have a moral framework in a nation where you can you can feel comfortable, you know what? I can let my kids just play at the park with any other kids, and I know that there's a moral framework, a fabric in place that allows for camaraderie and an understanding of moral values. It's such a joy. It's such a peace. You know where you see that? You see that in the church. You see that in a small community of neighbors who have the shared values of Christ. I know it. I've lived it. I've watched it. Breathed it sucked it in it's an amazing glorious revelation to watch it happen and you can have that everywhere if we uphold the righteous standards of god as if they're actually real and that's right. that's 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 the beauty of the kindness of god in his revealed his revealed word so let us push that forward and i don't care if you're the prince i don't honestly i don't even care if you're the pope repentance is the call and we should be conforming to his righteous standard. Jeez. Right. For those people who think that having a cultural Christianity through Christian nationalism is going to hinder the mission of God, I would say this. It can rightly, you can, I think you can make the strong argument that cultural Christianity was kind of the norm when Edwards and Whitfield popped on the scene proclaiming and we had the Great Awakening. So cultural Christianity does not necessarily hinder the mission of God as long as pastors, elders, and are rightly preaching the word, and men and women in local churches are still giving themselves to the mission of evangelism and discipleship. And that the great is, awakening that's what we lost. That's what we lost. You're absolutely right. That part is the thing that we gave over. We got fat. We got rich. We got lazy. And we let it go. We let it go thinking, well, it's always going to be this way. We can just sit back on our fat laurels and not do anything. And this is where we've gotten because we got lazy. And God does not, you know what? You know what, dear Christian in America? You don't work, you don't eat. And that's where we, that's where we, that's where we came. We stopped working for the kingdom. We stopped building the kingdom. And guess what? We're real hungry right now. We're real hungry. We're looking for a meal. Well, get out there and get to work. Right. Give us... Give us the Whitfields, give us the Edwards in the local church, and then give us the Wilberforces in the government and put those two together. And that's a beautiful thing that no, I can't imagine any believer would be against. Amen. You know, so well, that's what I got to say on that. I, I guess at some point we have to end this thing, but I could just keep going with you all night, man. We're, we're like, I feel like we are just so kindred right now. So, so for sure kindred in our spirits. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that I wanted to say tonight oh, as no. a, no, no, a big proponent of Christian nationalism, particularly white Christian nationalism, I love the whites, is that uh, we should definitely implement this as soon as possible, probably right. in 2024 when I win. Right. But uh, I think the first major downfall of our nation was the Dominion voting systems. They have been a a blight on our nation. Uh, well, speaking for all amphibious kind, there, Mr. President, I don't, I don't know that that's a good platform to run on. I'm just wondering what kind of voice Alex is going to make on the podcast. <laughs> I could do like a really bad like Hispanic voice, but <laughs> that's about it. 
I love I, Mexicans. Mexicans are we got, we got Kermit Trump, and I guess I could play like you know Pedro, whatever. Uh, Pe- <laughs> Pedro, you're an important voting block for number forty-five here. He he really. Needs... I mean, no, my votes are illegal, so I mean they know they count out. So. Well, they count in many states where we count all illegal votes. Uh, you they can do, come to New Jersey, double, right? two for one. Well, you know, as the Democrats say, hashtag illegal votes matter. And All right, we have digressed <laughs> too far. Uh, dear Christian, I'm going to encourage you again. Uh, if you if you have been in, have been blessed by this this exact level of systematic thinking, uh, understand that we are we are working uh, hard to try to help Alex uh, get uh, the biblical. Uh, wait, let me get this right. The biblical mi- guide. No, no, the bib- biblical, biblical manhood, manhood field manual. book. Field manual. Dang it. Man, we're fails. We're big fails. All right. We're working hard to get that. Can you tell us so, that again, Alex? A biblical. <laughs> yes. A biblical field manual on manhood. Thank the Lord you can. You talk so well. I swear that's not what he said the first no, time. <laughs> he's literally got it right in front of him. Roll the tapes. We're, we're really working to get that uh, to get that into into print, and we want to help Alex to do that. So head over to carbafide.com slash shop and check out the Take Courage Slay Dragon shirt, of which we are giving proceeds uh, to Alex so he can get this book going because we need strong men to lead their families, lead their churches, lead in their workplaces, and ultimately lead the nation <laughs> into Ooh. the righteous standard of the Lord. Yes, and amen. It's available both in the United States and in Canada. That's right. Take courage, slay dragons. Go get it. Also, it's awesome. And uh, we may have used Kelly Green because uh, the Eagles are great. <clears throat> but it's a really good looking shirt. Going to the Super Bowl it. again next year, baby. Oh, man. We got some good defense. Oh, players. they're hungry, baby. That NFL drafted real well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alex, any parting words that you would like to share before, uh, before we uh, close it out? You know, just as we think about it, guys, like, I appreciate you guys having me on, but. You know, you guys always talk Carpe Fides, he's the faith, right? Like, I think that plays, I think the name of the podcast actually plays right into the topic. It's like, to seize the faith has implications. Mm. And one of those implications is to seek, to faithfully call all men and women at all levels of authority to live righteously in submission to the will of God. So that's what I'll say. Amen. Yeah. And with that, I think we want you, dear Christian, to indeed seize the faith.